0: We are celebrating a lot of the ways that God Mm -hmm. is continuing to bless us and work in us and through us, even in the midst of the difficulties of the season we've been through. Mm -hmm. And so part of this morning is we want to just hear God's stories of the ways that God has shown up in the past. Mm -hmm. And so we want to invite uh, Anthony Apellis, our church chair, to come and share with us a little bit about how God blessed us through our Compassion Clinic ministry this last summer. Uh, Welcome, Anthony.
1: Good morning, everybody. Hey, how many of you participated in the Compassion Clinic last year in June? Ah, Wasn't it an awesome event? Mm -hmm. It was amazing, you know, and we we set out. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Now, we had the blessing of having Paul and Ann lead us through having our first Compassion Clinic. Did an absolutely amazing job, but, you know, what really stuck out to me is You know, we we served over 100 families. Mm -hmm. We had over 100 volunteers come together. And this was, I think, on one of the hottest days ever for the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) so it it was just a glorious event. And what was so cool is, you know, we we got to see, I mean, kids were serving, Mm -hmm. and we saw children being served at the Mm -hmm. same time. Um, I I really didn't know what to expect um, when we had the Compassion Clinic, but it was just a glorious sight. We had six churches that partnered with us in the area and that came together, and we all had just one common cause, and that was to serve those in our community who needed help. And, and it was where, you know, denom- denomination lines were erased, and we served as one body of Christ. It was just a beautiful thing to be a part of. Um, you know, and we got to see doctors here, and uh, we had, uh, what was it, uh, we, we had dentists here, of yeah. course, uh, but we had Massages, massage
0: therapists, massage therapists, chiropractors. I mean, we
1: had really a whole host of service providers here on site. Uh, Mm -hmm. Food bank participated. We handed out food to those who um, had some, uh, were dealing with uh, some food insecurity, so we were able to fill that need as well. So, really, just uh, able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, But we get another opportunity to do that this coming June. So, you know, if you thought uh, the first one was great, I'm, I'm sure the second one's gonna be even better. So uh, it, everybody sign up and let's just <laughs> blow this place away. I know, I think the needs are gonna be uh, more than there were mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we won't reach record temperatures on that yes. specific day or that, <laughs> that day that we're going to serve. But yeah, please sign up and it's, it's just an amazing experience. I recommend it for everybody in the family.
0: Awesome, thank you, Anthony. Thanks. <laughs> You know, another, yeah, that's worthy a round of applause for sure. Another ministry that uh, we've had for a while that took a break during COVID, but uh, we've relaunched is our MOPS ministry. We want to invite uh, Becca Kaiser, your lovely wife, yes. to join us. Uh, she has uh, taken over the uh, director, coordinator role for MOPS <laughs> this year as we've relaunched coming out of COVID. So we're excited because... Whether you realize it or not, Mops has been our biggest outreach ministry where we've connected with more people who don't go to church than any other ministry in our midst.
2: Yeah, going into planning relaunching Mops, we really took a lot of time to pray about and think about and kind of survey the need. Um, A lot of the parents that are in our program now are new parents, and so their experience of parenting has 100% been in the pandemic. The entirety of their pregnancies or their um, children's early lives are the last two years so ministry to them looks a lot different um, so we're really excited we actually changed from a day group to a night group to accommodate um, the needs of the families we know that most of the families in our community are now two income family so um, being able to offer a group at night in Sumner is huge and we've had a really great response to that and actually I have families waiting to join once we get childcare. So I think the Lord is leading us in the right direction there.
0: Very cool. What would you say might be some of the ways from your perspective that our Mops ministry has really enabled us to be a blessing to the community around us?
2: Well, I think for one, definitely reaching a demographic that we haven't before. Um, Not only are a lot of our moms working moms, but most of them have not been plugged in in any way to any Christian community since they've become a parent, which is huge um, to not have had any... um, Words of hope about Jesus or connection to other moms or families. So that's a huge thing. And then we've also been able to partner with local organizations like Mother to Many and some other things who are currently feeding 300 teens in Sumner every week. Um, so that partnership is something that we really value for um, families with older kids, too.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. We're excited for the God is doing in our renewed MOPS ministry. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you. We also have one more uh, ministry celebration that we want to uh, share with you uh, this morning. As uh, many of you know, our heart for a a long time has been to not only be a church that has all the generations in it, but to learn how to become a truly intergenerational church. And that's something that uh, is still a a work in progress. We're Mm -hmm. figuring it out together. Uh, but God is at work in our midst, and there's uh, a, a, another place in our church that's been around for a long time, that's the Enrichment Group, yeah. and we want to invite Ann Robinson, who's on our worship team, uh, playing the violin this morning, and uh, oh, also yes. Vanessa Kroos, who is uh, on staff as our bookkeeper to come. They are both part of Enrichment, and Joanne James as well. Uh, and we'd just love to hear a little bit more about how God, in His own wisdom, has um, kind of in- instigated... Enrichment, maybe we'll go to Vanessa first, (laughs) because you're kind of coordinating right now. Uh, The process of bringing an intergenerational experience into the enrichment group.
3: Okay, so I started doing enrichment in 2013. I was invited by my mother-in-law, who had been going to this church. My husband grew up here. And actually, my daughter started going to enrichment before me, because I was working full-time. And my mother-in-law would go to enrichment and drop them off at the nursery because it's the only Bible study here that offers childcare. So I think Shelly Pavlik, and you can correct me, Joe, because I think she's been in it for like 30 years and even her daughters were coming at that time. So I think that alone, that it offers childcare, gives um, moms, grandmas, great grandmas, (laughs) the opportunity, yeah, to um, come to enrichment to be together, um, to speak for the women in my generation. It's such a blessing to have these mentors there. Um, They remind us daily to love our kids. It goes by fast. They know so much more. We always are like, we're such newbie Christians. Please teach us your ways. (laughs) And they're just so good at it, and we get so much from them. And then we look at them in their retirement years, volunteering and doing all these things, which really encourage us as young moms in the throes of school and diapers and sports to see that God has more planned for us mm-hmm. after our kids. We're gonna be doing sewing groups and crocheting blankets for senior citizens and mm-hmm. taking care of five million great grandkids, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's really great. Awesome.
4: Okay, I did call Shelly Pavlik mm-hmm. and she said to the best of her recollection, Enrichment began in 1984 by Chris Allison, Carol Russell, Zoanne Wilkie, and Lois Sorensen. Enrichment grew in size and then was split into classes around 1987. This is when Shelley Pavlik became a leader of enrichment until just this very year. Yes, that was 33 years. <laughs> and over 1,100 times. So talk about someone that has used their time, yeah. talent, and mm-hmm. treasure. Mm-hmm. I uh, hold this up to to uh, Shelley. During Pastor Steve's reign, it was determined that enrichment needed to have paid childcare. You might be interested in knowing that prior to this, often I see um, um, that Terry Von Stein, mm-hmm. And Pastor Dick Randall were often the child care providers for enrichment. (laughs) With enrichment providing child care, this class has been able to welcome many, many young mothers and babies. Mm. And I would have to say that's the biggest group that drops out from our class. They start out as days old and then usually about one or one and a half. They seem... They just leave. They, leave. they leave. our group. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, they just go down the hall. Um, enrichment studies has always been very biblically based and usually comes with homework and a video. And I so admire the mothers that can go home with a lot of homework to do in some of our classes as... <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, so I really, uh, I really admire that about our young mothers that they put in a real big effort in. Um, I think we enjoy hearing the women's perspectives on many of the studies and the Bible verses mm-hmm. because they have such a different perspective on sometimes it's the same Bible verse and then us more seasoned moms come in and say, well, this is our perspective on that. So that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And now we are so grateful that Vanessa Crows has stepped in to be our leader of enrichment. I found it interesting that according to a dictionary, it says enrichment means the action of improving or enhancing the quality or the value of something or someone. And in my heart, this definition perfectly describes our group. Well,
5: uh, first of all, I make a correction, I only have 11, so not (laughs) millions. (laughs) And a lot of what has been said, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was raised in an intergenerational family. One grandmother lived with us, Mm. and the other two were a block away, and we we always ate Sunday dinner together, so I really benefited from this. I saw the godly actions in their lives, and I benefited from this and also from the conversations with family and friends. Things such as the firing of a Model T Ford, boats and fishing, events that happened that week, sermon scripture, and praying and talking about our missionaries, many of whom had been in our home. Our church also had a number of people in every age group. I have especially enjoyed enrichment because of that. We love the different perspectives and the different places that we are in our lives. We remember our own lives when we hear the young mothers talking (laughs) It strengthens us in our walk with the Lord when we hear how they're growing in their walk with the Lord. Our varied places in life and perspectives make for lively discussions. There's real trust in the group, and we share our problems and trials and then pray for each other during the rest of the week. Speaking for myself and the older women, we love it when a newborn comes to Bible study for the first year. That makes Bible study extra special. We all would lose something precious if the younger women were not there to share with us. We count on them to add and enrich our lives.
0: Awesome, thank you you so much. It is exciting to know that God is doing a work among us and and in ways that maybe we hadn't even planned. He's always kind of a couple steps ahead and inviting us to uh, see where he's working, to join him in that work, and to follow him. Uh, We've been talking in this new season through uh, a couple series of Know Your Why and Live Your Why about uh, how we can begin to understand God's call on our faith community Uh, as a call to each one of us individually, and how God is inviting us to use our time, talent, and treasure in service to his kingdom, and to multiply the gifts that we bring him for his glory and not for our own. I wanna talk a little bit about that more today. As most of you know, we have some big decisions to make in our annual meeting after the service. And so part of the heart that we uh, want to cultivate, hopefully, is is a heart of mutual discernment and unity before God. Uh, We as a congregation need to be sharing openly and honestly where God is working and what we discern God is saying to us so that collectively we can feel confident that when we make decisions together, we, we do it because it's God's leading and not because of our latest or greatest idea or the, you know latest church growth strategy. uh, That's not what we want to pursue. We want to be keeping in step with God's Spirit, as the Bible says. So in that spirit, let me invite you to pray with me, and then I just want to share a few words with you this morning that may prepare our hearts for our meeting after the service. Holy God, we do thank you. For each and every person that you have blessed this congregation with, from that newborn baby to that retired person who is looking at their end-of-life years. God, you are in the, the span of life that we see represented in this room and in our church, and we thank you for the gift that each person represents. We thank you for the vision that you've given us in the Bible, that that we as a faith community represent the body of Christ in its fullness, and that each part is important and valued and necessary for your work to be done. In fact, God, you even tell us that it's the the less uh, flashy, the the least important parts that, that often are the most essential in your kingdom. And so, God, as we continue to pray for your Word and your Spirit to change our priorities and to remake our values, help us to see where you are calling us forward, not only as a faith community, but each one of us individually as followers of your Son, Jesus, this morning, so that we can know that we have met and heard from the living God today. And as we go, we go knowing that we are seeking to keep in step with your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've talked about living our why, what we've been trying to identify is that as we want to pursue new forms of ministry and innovation in our church in order to become relevant to the world around us in the 21st century, we're recognizing that what we're talking about is not changing our technique. It's more about changing why we understand we are even here in the first place and why God is calling us to do what he's calling us to do. Knowing our why helps us to begin to to understand what are the outcomes that we would expect to see if we were successful at living out the why, the purpose for why God has created us and why God has called us and why God has empowered us with his spirit to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so with a growing understanding in this that it's our values as human beings, it's our values as a, as a faith community that really drive our behavior and that lead to the outcomes that we see, we've begun to focus on some of the value shifts that we believe God is calling us to pursue in order to see genuine innovation in our ministries and in our lives as a faith community. And by focusing on this new set of values, we're able to begin to to cast a vision or to glimpse a different possible future for the church in our day and in our age, and as we begin to maybe redefine what success looks like for us as Christians. As a result, our why as a church is becoming more and more about helping each person who is here to discover and live out their why. Personally and as a follower of Jesus, rather than seeing our goal as building a bigger, better church, which can be a very impersonal and organizational perspective, we're really beginning to see that God is calling us to, to to really focus in on the understanding that disciple making is about developing whole, healthy people in Christ. And we want to be clear on what does that look like and how do we help one another to be able to experience wholeness and healthiness in our relationship with Christ. Because ultimately, we we realize from the Bible is that the church is not a building. A church is not an organization, but the church is the people. We are the church. But we've also tried to recognize all along the way, as we've been talking about change and growth and, and the new things that God might want to do, is that change is hard. Change is difficult. Change can be scary. Change can produce fear and anxiety in us because we're not really sure A, if we know how to change, or B, if we can change, or C, if we do change, do we really want the change that's coming? <laughs> Even though, in many ways, we all know that change is not optional, change is inevitable at some level, it still doesn't make it easy. And so it becomes even more difficult when the way forward is not completely clear. We, we're comfortable with what we know. We're, we're more uh, in control of what we've experienced in the past and we know how to manage in our lives uh, what we feel like we already understand, but we become more uncomfortable with the unknown, with what we've never experienced before, with what we don't really understand and maybe can't even yet imagine. And so part of the challenge for the church today, not only our church but every church, is that in the face of the unknown change that we are currently experiencing and having to navigate and live into together, it becomes really difficult to know how do we begin to imagine what the future is going to look like and encourage one another to live into that future. Because it's in this situation that our human tendency is going to want to be able to grab onto what we know, to what's familiar, and what we feel like we can manage within our own strength and our own wisdom. And yet in contrast to this human desire that we all have and this difficulty we have with change, we go to the Bible and we read the scriptures and we see that as disciples of Jesus, Jesus calls his disciples to die to themselves in order to live to him. To give up control of everything in our life and put it under his lordship because he's the master, he's the controller. And to begin to have a priority in our life to generously give ourselves away on behalf of God's kingdom and to pursue his work among us. You see, in the Bible, I want to suggest for us this morning that we can begin to see that this contrast between our human tendency to be in control, to be able to manage our lives, to have confidence that we can do it in our own wisdom, in our own strength, is in complete contrast with the radical generosity that Jesus reveals and the view of life that he unfolds as he sacrifices his whole life to reveal the heart of God to us. It's possible that we could say that we can either view life from a perspective of scarcity or a perspective of abundance. See, a scarcity mindset is based on the fear that we're not going to have enough, that, that who I am is not enough, that I'm never going to be enough, whereas an abundance mindset is based on the joy of the knowledge that I already have everything that I need that who I am is exactly who God has created me to be and wants me to give to his kingdom and his purposes. I think in John 10, verse 10, Jesus contrasts these two perspectives, one based on fear, and I want to suggest one based on joy, where he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or have it abundantly. You see, this abundant life, I believe Jesus was wanting us to begin to understand and to see is a display of this radical generosity of God's heart for you and for me, and to to help us to know that we can truly put our trust in Jesus as the Lord of our lives, because he goes on in verse 7 to say, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I read an article online by career coach uh, Jennifer uh, Bisser that says, an abundance mindset is believing that you have all that you need in life to feel fulfilled, happy, and empowered. Anybody there? You feel like you have all you need in life to feel fulfilled, happy, and empowered. (laughs) Abundance means knowing that you are enough and that you will have enough. It's a feeling of excitement and positivity and hopefulness in life. Scarcity, on the other hand, she says, is the state of being or feeling without or not having enough of something. A scarcity mindset is the belief that you need something more to have a happy and fulfilled life. This mindset can be driven by fear and anxiety and can block one's ability to feel hopeful or to envision life full of possibilities. Scarcity keeps you small and quote-unquote safe. And yet it obscures positive thinking and personal expansion. Now, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but I think it applies. Right? As we've been learning in our Ecclesiastes series called Chasing the Wind which we'll pick up again next week, in this scarcity mindset that I think we could apply to the teacher's uh, you know, goals in the book of Ecclesiastes is what drives us to feel this need to strive and to work hard to try and produce something with our lives that's going to bring profit or gain and, and ultimately make us happy and, and feel fulfilled in life. Ultimately, all of that is somehow an attempt to try and control life in order to to make it work to our advantage, to to make it uh, work towards our ends. Yet paradoxically, what we also see in Ecclesiastes and we can see in the world around us if we we look and we evaluate the culture of uh, the mindset of scarcity is that it's what leads us to human envy and greed in our life. And what we discover is that as wealth and prosperity and success increase, it only ex- increases our worry and our anxiety and our, feeling, our need to feel even greater control in our lives. The more we have, the more we want. And the greater the need we feel to, to, to try and make sure that we don't lose what we already have. All the while, the teacher tells us none of it ever brings contentment or peace or satisfaction in living. I think this is the mindset that Jesus wanted to address with his disciples, this mindset of scarcity. If you remember the story in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him. This is a a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only here have five loaves and bread, five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were Satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. You see, I think what Jesus was wanting his disciples to know and what he wants us to also understand is that rather than viewing life from a mindset of scarcity, which always leads us to to fearful anxiety and a need to control in our lives, Jesus invites us to view life through a lens of abundance. Abundance which leads us more to a a stewardship mentality that invites us to put everything that we have and everything that we are into the hands of Jesus. Even our limited resources, God says He can use and He can multiply for His purposes if we simply trust in Him. You see, the Bible tells us that we're serving a king who has abundance at His disposal, After feeding the 5,000, which again, if you add the women and children, scholars suggest was probably more like 10,000 people, there were 12 basketfuls left over. It's as if Jesus is saying, even the leftovers of God's kingdom are vastly greater than the scarcity that this world offers. Now, I think it's important that we call out here that abundance in the Bible is not a prosperity gospel that says if you just give enough, if you just have enough faith that God will bless you and he's going to make you rich, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Abundance, Jesus is telling us, is seeing that what we already have and who we already are is enough for whatever Jesus is asking us to do. As our Lord and as our King who came to show us the abundance of God's heart for us, Jesus tells us that if we entrust what we have and what we are for the purposes of His kingdom and into His hands, He will be able to supply the increase that is needed for us to accomplish whatever He calls us to do. Now, the story of abundance in the feeding of the 5,000, I believe, is contrasted in the gospel story with the scarcity story of the rich young ruler. You remember that guy? Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men, with people, is possible with God. Can I suggest for us this morning that what we see in the scripture and in the story of the rich young ruler is that too often it's not what we lack. That inhibits us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised, but it's what we have. The stuff of earth, the stuff of life that we think we need to control and get more of in order to be happy, that we don't want to let go of, even if God says, if you let go of that, I can bless you in some new and different ways. But no, we can't trust that. We have to cling to what is familiar, what we're comfortable with, what we already have. And in Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler, he's not giving a prescription for all Christians that that as followers of Jesus, we have to give away all our possessions to the poor and and, and go become homeless on the street. That's not the point of the story. What he's saying is that as the Lord of our lives, if we really want to follow Jesus as his disciples, we have to entrust everything to him. We have to give control up to him. We have to trust that he is the good shepherd and that he has laid down his life for the sheep to show us the heart of God is a heart of generosity and abundance for each one of us and that we can take him at his word that he will do what he says he will do. Brothers and sisters, in this time of transition in our lives, in our culture, and in our church, we're seeking God together. We're asking if in this time, in this season, in the life of our church, is this a renewed opportunity for us to cultivate the abundant life that Jesus promised his disciples? Because the abundant life is not marked by material prosperity or the size of your bank account or how many people you can stuff into a building on Sunday morning. It's not marked by the ever-increasing upward mobility of our own personal and our corporate success. Ecclesiastes had told us that all these things are simply a chasing after the wind. The abundant life, Jesus says, is a life marked by the miraculous fruitfulness of God's kingdom manifesting itself among us. And that's not something we can manufacture, create, or control. It's only something we can receive as a gift. When we see that what we have from God is enough for whatever God wants to do, we step into the mindset of abundance in our lives. But we need to recognize that a mindset of scarcity will lead us to feel like we need to cling to what we already have to seek to manage and control our lives, to be the masters of our own destiny, to to build up our own wisdom and our own strength so that as a result we, we, uh, I'm sorry, and as a result we may fail to see the abundance that God wants to bless us with and is ready and willing to display because we're not willing to give up control to Him. What does that look like for you today? For those of you who are married, in your marriage, Do you have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? And how might that change the way you approach your marriage relationship? For those of you who are not married, in your social life, in your life with friends, with, with extended family, do you have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? And how might that change the way that you approach pursuing relationships and people in your life to share life with and to do ministry with? in your career in your school life as a student my a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance with your time and your talent and your treasure do you have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance how about in your spiritual life with god today scarcity or abundance in your view of church in this season Can we approach what God is calling us to do and to be with a mindset of abundance? Or will we fall into the trap of a mindset of scarcity? See, in whatever area of life you desire to see God's abundance for you, what would it look like if you take your five loaves and your two fish, whatever it is that God has already blessed you with, Whatever God has already created you to be, the passions and the desires that he has woven into your personality and into your being, and you willingly place those in the hands of Jesus this morning, trusting in him to bring whatever increase is needed for you to be fulfilled and happy and successful in the life that he's called you to live. What would it look like for us as a faith community to take our five loaves and two fish collectively and place them in the hands of Jesus, trusting in Him for His abundance in our lives? As you look at your life today, as we look at our church today, as we look at the situation of the church in America today, it may seem impossible to imagine that God could change our circumstances. That God could bless us in a new way in this day and age. That God could take our meager loaves and fish and multiply them in miraculous ways for his kingdom. Yet Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen? And I think that's the point. That's the point of the life of faith. That's the point of Ecclesiastes that the teacher is trying to help us understand. That's the point of being a part of a church. That without God, the abundant life simply isn't possible. But with God, the sky is the limit. If we put our trust in Him and allow Him to bring the increase. I want to close today with Paul's prayer for his people from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19, where he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. I want to invite the worship team to join me as we pray for God's blessing and God's spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of celebration where we acknowledge that you have not abandoned us or left us, but you are here, you are present, you're at work, and you are calling us forward as followers of Jesus to be his disciples. God, as we gather together today after the service and as we uh, bring our, our honest hearts and minds and we share and we discuss, we just pray for your wisdom to manifest itself among us. Our heart, God, is simply to say yes to you and to follow the prompting of your spirit, trusting that you will provide whatever we need to see your mission fulfilled. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.